This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, September 8th, the Big Family, Big Problems edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mother to Naima, who's nine, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's eight, and Teddy, who's five. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Zach Rosen. I host the Best Advice Show podcast, and I live in Detroit with my family. My oldest, Noah, just turned five, and my youngest, Ami, is about to turn two. Well, today, we've got a letter from a large family, not cheaper by the dozen big, but still pretty big. Our letter writer feels out of step with smaller families, especially when it comes to playdates. Can she convince others that their loud, rambunctious family is a lot of fun to be around? Or is her family just too much for other people? Then on Slate Plus, we're reflecting on The Daily's recent episode about the teen mental health crisis. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. The idea that kids are coming in and saying to their doctor, like, something is wrong, I think is at least a positive step forward that we can recognize, like, I don't have to feel like this, or I shouldn't have to, you know, feel so lonely, or like, I don't have the tools to deal with this. So who can I go to to get more tools? And how can I navigate this world? Not only do you get a bonus segment from us every week, but you get to listen ad-free when you have Slate Plus. And it's not just us. You get to listen ad-free to all of Slate's content, and you won't hit a paywall on our site. This show wouldn't be possible without Slate Plus memberships. Please consider joining if you can. You can sign up by going to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash plus. Okay, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting, but not before a quick break. See you back here in a second. All right, we're back. Zach, have you triumphed or failed this week? Uh, a little bit of both, but it's a, it's a triumph in the end. Two weeks ago was my daughter's birthday, which I described in great detail. And a week after is my wife's birthday. And then a week after my wife's birthday is my son's birthday. So I'm swimming in Virgos here. And, you know, Noah just turned five. And so on the morning of her mother's birthday, I wanted to make it very special. I want Shira, my wife, to know that she's loved. And, you know, I wanted her to have a really happy birthday. But Noah was still like in her birthday mode because it was just the week before and you know five-year-old's birthday like it stretched several days long it was a big topic right in our house it's like a huge a huge thing that we were preparing for celebrating and then even in the wake of it it was still like we're playing with her new gifts and she wasn't ready to give up the crown do you know what i mean like she wasn't ready to put her uh her birthday vibes aside and and start lauding her mom at least she wasn't right away and so like the morning of shira's birthday noah was being like super crabby and being just not kind to her mom on the day that she deserves the most kindness and i was disappointed in noah for not giving the birthday love that her mom deserved and it was just like a crummy way to start shira's birthday off and uh, i was trying to explain to noah like you know we know we had such such a good time celebrating you. We love you so much. And just think about all the, the energy that we spent, you know, planning your party and getting ready for your birthday. Like mom deserves that too, don't you think? And it was after like she had kind of calmed down from her initial huff that I had that conversation with her. And um, by the time we were celebrating Shira's birthday with a dinner following evening, I made a little toast. Some of our friends were over. Uh, just talking about Shira and, you know, just giving her 
giving her my birthday love to her. And then I said, Noah, would you like to to give a toast or, or a poem or a song or something just to show mom, you know, what she means to you? And she proceeds to make the most beautiful speech, really like precise observations about about like how Shira does the things she does. And she just like totally hit it out of the ballpark. And I think she saw, um, first of all, I think, you know, it's fun. It was fun to her to to kind of have some attention as she performed the speech. But I think she saw and felt what it meant to to not just take all the birthday love with which she had the previous week, but to actually give it and like to really think about like what it what the world is like with with her mom um here and it was just it was just so nice and i feel like now she's like shira and i both like giving speeches and i feel like she's like on that team now of people that like like to craft personal speeches on special occasions and it's kind of welcoming her to the club but i was also just so proud of the 180 she made from being a little scoundrel the morning before to being this like lovely uh birthday well-wisher the following day i like that you believed in her enough to toss her (laughs) toast like that that could have gone another way (laughs) (laughs) well if you i mean she's a rosen i knew that that she would be interested in it i didn't think it was something that she'd be able to handle no, I mean, I I love that you knew she'd come around and rise to the occasion. Oh, gosh, that's so lovely. And what a nice gift to Shira. I don't know, just like getting those moments from your kids are some of the best, the best gifts you can get, you know, kind of their honest picture of you in some ways. <laughs> yeah, totally. Shira's love language is, is words of affirmation. So that's like exactly what she wanted more Aww. than anything. And she got it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Elizabeth? Triumph or fail? Uh, we're gonna call it in the middle. In the, in the end, you know, I always think it's a triumph in the end. <laughs> but, um, so we went to South Dakota this weekend. You know, we love to travel and get away, and we they give us these four day weekends as as military holidays and kind of expand our holiday since the guys technically are or my husband's technically working like weekends. We have to take leave if he's going out of town, even on a weekend. So. We got this four day. We were like, great, we're going to go to South Dakota. Oliver wanted nothing more than to see Mount Rushmore, but he calls it Mount Mushmore. <laughs> so we planned this this whole driving trip. And our first stop was in Nebraska at this place called Scott's Bluff, which is one of the like waypoints on the Oregon Trail. And the kids had been kind of into this because since we've pretty much everywhere you drive from here, you are hitting one of the Oregon Trail waypoints. And so we've been talking about it a lot and why people might want to um, move and also the like travesty that was us moving and taking land that wasn't us. So this has been kind of a huge conversation. And so we're at um, Scott's Bluff and they finished their Junior Ranger packets. We're all excited. And Henry sees this book up on the shelf called Donner Dinner Party. And it is one of our, um, there's this graphic novel series called Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. And I actually think I was first introduced to them by a, a listener to the show when we went to visit the Ironclads in Georgia. It's like Civil War stuff. So they have this one on the Donner Party. And Henry is like, can we get this? I need something to read on this trip. I'm like, okay, great. I I obviously know what the Donner Party is. And like, okay, this will be fun. We'll talk about it. Hey, by the way, you know, in this, the Oregon Trail goes terribly wrong and people are going to eat each other. Okay, no problem. So he reads the book and he's like, 
Wait, you you mentioned that to him before? Yeah, yeah. I said to him like, "Hey, before I purchase okay, this, that's great. by the way, uh-huh. this is like about cannibalism." <laughs> and I I knew like the way that these graphic novels approach this stuff is, and I knew it wasn't going to be like pictures of people. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Um, but obviously the hazardous part of this tale is that like in survival moments, people have to do all kinds of stuff. So um, we buy it. He's like reads it, has some questions. Then Oliver reads it. And, you know, he's our eight year old, a little has a little more kind of questions <laughs> about it. But it becomes kind of this constant topic of conversation to which Teddy then gets the book and he's looking at the book and he's like, where is the part where they eat people? And so, you know, I'm like, hey, when we stop, we like sit by this creek and I'm like reading him the section of the book. Like, look, they have no food and they are stuck. The snowstorm has come. They really do not know what to do. Like they have eaten the roof, the rawhide roof of their home. They're eating shoes, you know, all of this. And he looks at me and he says, "Um, how do they have mouths big enough to eat whole people? I was like, no, no, like, honey, they they cut them up, they cook them. They actually had this whole rule that you wouldn't eat someone that was of your own family, you know, and he's like, OK, you know, I could probably eat a baby, though. <laughs> I was like, this has gone <laughs> so, so off the rails. Not exactly, you know, I'm like, actually, they only ate the men, <laughs> except that at the very end. This one person ate this woman. So we got into this whole discussion. I posted something on Instagram and a bunch of people recommend that I listen to this podcast called You're Wrong About. They just had an episode on the Donner Dinner Party. It was like amazing. That is where I found out that apparently Abe Lincoln was going to be part of the Donner Party. He's like best friends with one of the guys and was going to go. Super, super fascinating. Um, A lot of good jumping off points to just talk about how desperate people can be in these survival moments and also how history like sensationalizes um things but you know it's like days later they're still asking <laughs> like the, it's still kind of mulling around in their brains and they have these questions <laughs> and i'm just like okay can we leave the cannibalism behind so again Educating children is a hazardous job in and of itself. The thing about teaching them things is that they're <laughs> going to want to know more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they just want to know yeah, more, and thing. I don't have, I don't have all the, all the answers. <laughs> oh, anyway, highly recommend though. You're wrong about the podcast was excellent. So everyone who recommended that to me, um, it's definitely not kid friendly listening. There's a lot of um, cursing, and they went into a little more detail on cannibalism than I went with the children. I was actually able to answer some more of their questions in very educated ways after listening to the podcast. So without having to Google things about cannibalism, which is the other problem, right? Like you can easily dive down that hole and get all kinds of weird search results that you didn't want to know. Yes, yeah, true. You're wrong about is filled with so much good information. They researched the, the, the shit out of that show. It's amazing. It was awesome. Anyway, Jamila, how was your week? Well, the week was pretty fine. Um, we got today was our first day back at school after a long weekend. The kids here had Friday and Monday off for Labor Day. So that was good for Naima. This morning, she was eating breakfast while I was packing lunch and doing other little things, you know, to prepare her to get ready. And she's watching TV, so she's eating on the couch. And I go into the living room, and I just see spilled milk and cereal all over the couch. 
But what bothered me was that, like, I didn't see a person who was reacting to this. She's still watching TV. It's like this thing has happened, but I am paying attention to whatever she was watching on TV. And so I was like, Naima, get up. You know, like, come on. You you weren't going to say anything. You weren't going to do anything. And she says, I was. See, you're not listening to me. And I'm like, no, Naima, you were wrecked. You were, like, watching TV with no focus on anything but that like you is the second you spill a butt like it was a lot you know it wasn't like a little spill it was like a significant cereal spill on this couch that isn't that old and had to be purchased because the last couch just got like disgusting with food and you know and I tried so hard to keep the couch clean and I just you know I fussed at her and she said you know you're always yelling at me I do not yell raising my voice and yelling are the same thing to her. Um, But, you know, you're always yelling and just one day I'm going to write an autobiography. And do you want it to be that, like, my parents always yelled at me when I was a child? I suppose my failure is yelling at my child because now I live in fear of what she's going to write about me someday. That is such a smart strategy from her to, to lord that over your head. Yeah. That's so smart. I feel like you should say something, though, like, if you write that book sitting on a clean couch, then I will die a happy woman. (laughs) (laughs) I should have said that. You know, whereas (laughs) as if if you write it sitting on a couch covered with your milk (laughs) and spilled cereal. (laughs) You You could also threaten that your memoir, though, is going to come out years before her. Like She better be careful. That is a very good point. Like, do you want my book to say that you spill cereal milk all over the new couch and did nothing about it? Is that how you want to be reflected? Oh, I like this. (laughs) It's true. My book, I need pages. So I could write that today. I mean, I feel for you because that is what I hate too, is like, I want to raise you to be a person that understands that when you spill something, we have to clean it up. Like it just gets worse. Like this TV is capable of pausing and looking stuff up, like all of these things that we did not have when we were children. And we still cleaned up the milk. (laughs) We still would have cleaned up the milk. Like, the show would have been over. You would have never seen it again. Sorry, that's too bad you missed that part. It's done. Maybe one of your friends at school can tell you about it. You literally could have paused the TV and made me so proud. Even if she just got up to say, Mommy, I spilled. That's right. You know, I wouldn't have expected her to clean it up because she wouldn't have done a good job. Or just at least go walk and stand near it holding the cloth, you know? Some, yes, some acknowledgement. Something. <laughs> some acknowledgement, something. I feel something. yeah, because sometimes I feel like that's that's the stuff I worry about. I don't want them to live in filth because, uh, you know, they were never taught to clean up. Right. Like, do you just think that your couch can smell like cereal milk forever and it'll be okay? But also... I mean, her response shows that no one will ever walk over her. So also, good job. (laughs) Yeah. No, Naima is a lot of things. A pushover is not one of them. Be clear. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to take another quick break. And we'll see you right back here for our listener question. All right. Let's dive into our listener question. Dear mom and dad, we recently added baby number four to our already loud, rambunctious, happy family. Ever since, I feel like we're totally falling out of step with most other families we know. 
My oldest is in third grade, and it seems like most of his friends' families have a third grader and a kindergartner. When we had our third, other families were kind enough, and I didn't feel out of place. But now that we have a third grader, a kindergartner, a toddler, and a newborn, I feel really out of step. Plus, it's likely we'll have at least one more baby. It seems most families are not interested in spending time with kids that span a few ages. Maybe the problem is that we don't do a lot of sports or extracurriculars. My kids are usually barefoot and don't have tech, so you'll find them whittling sticks or trying to hatch tadpoles or baking something weird. Honestly, we'd love to unschool our kids and spend all day in the woods with them if we had the life structure that allowed it. It seems like other big families are this way, at least according to Instagram. So how does a family like ours, big, rowdy, and a little untraditional, fit in with smaller families? Do we need to move out of our city and become a van family to find our people? I like the other families we know from public school, despite our different philosophies, but maybe we're too much for them. We've tried inviting people over to our house, but it never seems quite to work out since everyone has soccer seven nights a week and travel cello tournaments or something every other weekend. Thanks. Our family is kind of a lot. Well, Elizabeth, you have a big family and you all are somewhat non-traditional. What kind of advice do you have for this letter writer? So I think this letter writer just hasn't found her people yet. And I feel for her. I mean, I have definitely felt this. I can empathize so much because even with three, especially now that we have like two, what I would call older, mostly functional on their own children. And then we have Teddy. It feels like if we go to play dates with older kids, Teddy is super bored and the big kids don't want to play with him. Like we have that kind of problem. Or if we go to something with the younger kids, the 10 year old is sort of like, well, this is a baby play date. So first, what I try to do is on those play dates, expand the friend group. I I call this casting a wide net, right? Like invite a bunch of people because there are other two people families that have younger kids. If your kids are all in school, go to some parks during the day, find some friends for your younger kids too. I do find that parents with younger kids, it's kind of easier to entertain some of the older kids at those play dates. And a lot of times, you know, you could invite one friend over for your third grader or one family with a third grader and kindergartner and then another family over, you know, and if that if your house is not suitable for that, like just send a message out. We're going to the park at this day. Who can join or we're, we want to go do this hike or whatever and see who is willing to come. I also think if you feel like where you fit in are these kind of like more crunchy or unschooling groups or whatever you're finding in your area, there is no reason that you have to be unschooling, homeschooling, whatever, to join these Facebook groups, join these whatever, and participate in the events that fit in your life because these people are also meeting after traditional school hours. There are plenty of people in our kind of local homeschool group that I go to for activities who are not homeschooling. What they are looking for is extracurricular activities. Like they don't want to do the traditional extracurricular activities. They want to go on a hike with a bunch of people on a weekend or after school or see what's going on. And we do not care who is homeschooling, who is not homeschooling. We're just looking for other people that you know, have kids to hang out with our kids and want to hang out at the park. So I think seek out those. Don't close off those groups just because you are doing something else. I We have plenty of families that are, some of the kids are in school, some of the kids are not in school. We have others that just can come to weekend things. There are homeschoolers who parents work and the only time they can really do things are after work hours and on weekends. So if you feel like that is kind of more your thing, I actually feel like the extracurricular 
problem is the bigger problem here rather than the size of your family. I know it's just hard. I have three kids. They all each do kind of one thing. That's three nights, you know, a week for me. So if you have even other big families um, that you're trying to meet up up with, there's just a lot going on. So I think cast a wide net, keep looking. It's okay to have some friends that you sort of have at school and see and talk to moms and then find other friends that are your kind of more crunchy, send the kids out into the woods to whittle friends. That's totally fine. Yeah, there's absolutely a whittling group. Like big whittling family group on Facebook. I was going to say the same thing. Like do the things that you love to do and notice who else is there. As simple as like we've we've met friends at the park who we don't go to school with, but we vibe with them at the park. A big part of it is like if your kids and my kid are getting along, that's great. But I also like want to like have a compatible fun friendship with someone. And that often starts with me meeting someone or vice versa and, and asking them out on a, a family play date. So like you're doing really cool stuff. Like you're not alone in the woods all the time. Join these clubs that isn't like so time intensive, but maybe it's just like, you know, one Saturday a month we go on we go on a hike. And like I totally agree that I too don't want to overprogram our lives. So just like be sparing with it, but like find the one that like looks really cool and like commit to that for, you know, the season or something because there will be other cool people doing the thing that you like to do because you both like to do them. I agree with you both. I'll just add, you know, as part of a very small family, it can be a little overwhelming sometimes to be around bigger families. You know, I think it's important that larger families know how to do things in groups, in smaller groups. You know, like sometimes some activities are not for everyone. Like there may need to be a play date where one parent accompanies one or two children you know, to hang out with one parent and one or two children. And that's it. You'll come across that with birthday parties there. You know, most people who open up their home are not going to be prepared for four kids and two adults. And that's okay. And I understand that can be frustrating because you want to spend your weekends together as a family and you want to have as much time together as a unit. But sometimes the unit has to split off so that the individual members of the unit can have meaningful relationships with other people. You know, like your children need to be able to develop friendships with kids that don't necessarily have have a kindergarten sibling. Um, it shouldn't be the case that if that if another family doesn't have enough kids to you know balance out with your kids that you guys just can't hang out. So just think about you know finding ways where maybe two kids or three kids go with one parent to do one activity or hang out with one social group and one kid goes with another. That's not a bad thing, you know, and I do think that if you do what Zach and Elizabeth have said, you know, and do your digging, you'll find your people, you'll find other big families, you'll find people that have similar interests to you. But that's not the only way that socializing can and should look for you all. Jamila, I love this idea of separating out. And that's definitely something that we try to take advantage of too. And, you know, it's so nice, like if you're just taking the big kids to be able to stand and talk or just taking the babies to a baby play group. We also sometimes like if, if I know that we're going to somewhere with two younger kids, I will invite one of Henry's friends to come along because once you have a big family, sometimes it does feel like, 
what's one more kid? And if I can make sure that Henry has someone, right, then I have, by taking another child, I've actually reduced my total workload. And I find that I do that a lot because Henry's, one of his best friends is an only. And so when we go there, they're inviting five of us over to a house of three. I mean, it is like all, you know, that is a like huge thing, but they are always happy to just take Henry. Like, you know, she all the time is like, why don't you just drop Henry off here? He gets a whole bunch of attention. They play nicely and don't bother, you know, the parents, which is great. I'm down one. And I love taking her with us because it entertains Henry. So I think, too, it's okay to to ask to do those sort of things to make to make this work for your family. Zach, do you have bigger families that you guys hang out with or is it mostly other sets of four? Um, no, we have some, we have some three furs. We don't have four furs yet, but we're still, we're still kind of early on. We still have young kids. So I'm very open to it and I'm excited for the, the big ones. But yeah, um, it also just depends like where, but like the park again is like the magnet for, for our neighborhood. And so there's all sorts of opportunities for mismatched ages to, to get together and for us to, to hang with, with bigger families. Yeah. We just seem to have a lot of big families around us. Like, I, I feel like our family of five is not large here. Like, like, we have lots of people. A lot of our back north neighbors have way more than three kids. And so it's nice. Wow. What's the biggest family you know? We know one with eight boys. Holy. <laughs> wow. Have you wow. been to their house? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's good though because I always look at her and think, okay, she's she's still here. <laughs> like I can, you know, I can do this. Yeah. Um, Does she have any twins or triplets? One set of twins. And I bet everyone asks her, "Were you trying for a girl?" <laughs> but yeah, no, they're lovely, and I mean, they are just a big, a big fun family. So yeah. Well, uh, our family is kind of a lot. Keep us updated. Everyone else, if you have some advice for them, please send us a voice memo or an email at slate.com. That's also where you can send questions of your own. That's it for our show. We'll be back in your feeds bright and early on Monday, so be sure to tune in. And while you're at it, please subscribe to the show and give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Christy Tywo Macanjola and Rosemary Belson. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Zach Rosen, I'm Jamila Lemieux. Thank you for listening. All right, Slate Plus listeners, let's keep going. We wanted to talk about an episode of the New York Times podcast, The Daily. The episode is called Inside the Adolescent Mental Health Crisis. We'll link to it in the show notes, but essentially it looked at the rising number of mental health issues in adolescents and what actions are being taken to help meet this new crisis. For folks who haven't heard the podcast yet, where were some of the big takeaways? So the American Academy of Pediatrics actually has declared a health emergency for adolescent mental health. And as part of this, they came up with all of these kind of goals and things that we should be doing. And one of the takeaways you know, for me was this idea that like pediatricians, schools, um, like all of these touch points for adolescents should be more focused on mental health care. And that just hasn't happened. Like pediatricians are still 
only receiving, you know, a few classes on kind of mental health care. And and it is not the type of care that they need, because, of course, we know that uh, mental health care in general is not available or affordable in many communities, even though that's one of the things that would really help get through this crisis. Um so I I really walked away thinking like, okay, we see this coming and we know this is a problem. <laughs> like, why aren't we doing anything about it? I mean, I guess that's, we talk about this a lot, but at the end, they talk about that the kids that actually receive this care do better in adulthood. So the kids that have a problem in adolescence, they sort of called it the new midlife crisis, like now it's happening younger. They receive care and training on how to take care of themselves. That's kind of, you know, how to deal with these anxieties. They become more successful adults. One, this crisis is coming, but we have this opportunity to really change things and make adulthood better. But it seems like we're not putting the elements in place for those that can't afford care, right? Like if you can go out and find a CBT therapist or find what your child needs or get them into a program that we know is working, that's great. But that's not available for everyone. And of course, most of the mental health stuff as a result then falls on those that are underprivileged. And of course, that we're more effective when we're talking about, you know, the non-white population. So I, I found all of that to be both frustrating, but also kind of hopeful. Like, hey, can we get this going? Can we get this kind of care where we need it? Yeah, I mean, also, there's just a massive shortage of CBT practitioners. Like, not only not only can most people not afford it, but if you want to get your kid in to see someone, they talk about, you know, having a three, four, five month wait. And um, that the, the reporter talks about, on I think he says on any given night, there are um, like one to 5,000 kids across the country in an ER who have had suicidal ideations or have done some kind of self-harm and they're just like waiting in an ER um, for some kind of care and, you know, ERs aren't equipped for this. Something I, I didn't know was that puberty is starting much earlier now. A hundred years ago, um, kids were going, were going through puberty when they were 14. Now it's when they're 12. And so like that mixed with the speed of the time in which we live with, you know, the internet and climate change and there's all this stuff. And so it's, it's just making our kids vulnerable um, in ways that they just weren't 15, 20, 100 years ago and incredibly disconcerting. The number of young people going to emergency rooms for self-harm related incidents is up 300% and not just self-harm, the, the reporter tells uh, Michael Barbaro, the host, but suicidal ideation, symptoms of anxiety and depression, obsessive thinking, rumination, aggression. So all these numbers are way up and they were they were even going up before COVID. You know, it's not, this isn't just a COVID thing and it's not just a social media thing. It's the cascading effects of all of these factors happening at the same time with kids going through puberty at a younger age. I thought it was interesting how they talked about puberty. Like we think so much of it as like the maturing of the physical body, which it is, but also um, how much happens in the brain and that you're, you're making that switch from being someone that was taken care of to someone that needs to read all this information. And so that makes you hyper aware of people ridiculing you online and people, um, it's almost like you don't know how to deal with all of that because your brain is making that change. And at the same time, Zach, like you said, you're inundated um, with that, that information from the outside world and from, you know, not the tight knit communities that we used to have, but now it's coming from anywhere and it can be anonymous and, and you have a hard time assigning value to those 
comments. So I thought that was really interesting because I have I I knew it involved the brain, but I hadn't really thought about it in in that way that like this brain switch is happening with all this new information. And that's one of the reasons that we're seeing so much mental health crisis because we're not really dealing with the change in the brain. And it sounded like, you know, the field of pediatrics was really originally a physical health, like how do we stop these childhood diseases, right? And so there's a lot of focus on education on vaccines, education on that. And the training has not really met the current moment to make sure that pediatricians are are essentially, you know, your first level mental health professionals for these adolescents because they are the ones that have the contact time. And I know they interview one who sort of says, like, I'm educating myself because I'm the only person who sees these people. Um, and I think that's super important. Like, And that, to me, seems like something we can't. We already have people in medical schools. Why aren't medical schools making these changes? Like, why, as a whole, aren't we providing more mental health classes um, to, to people in general uh, so that we can meet these kids where they need us? Yeah, you get like a month of psychiatry training in, in medical school or something. Something really minimal. Yeah. Right. This is a tangible thing that can be done to address this problem. And who isn't getting that training is teachers, right? Like there, that is something that, I mean, among the many uh, things that teachers are expect to solve for and, and deal with while our children are in their care, um, they are, you know, oftentimes first responders when children are having mental health issues and they're not often prepared to recognize and address them. And there are, you know, far too many children that go down the behavioral challenges pathway and, you know, expulsion, suspension, et cetera, because there are things that are going on that are not being diagnosed and that people who are tasked with caring for them, you know, are not equipped to deal with. And even like school social workers, like every school has like what, a couple? For like hundreds of kids, you know, we need like 10 times as many school social workers as we have. Yeah. And they need to interact with all the children. You know, when I was in preschool, it was very rare. I went to a private preschool um, and we all saw the school psychologists, like every single one of us. I forget how regularly everyone went. I went more regularly because I had some special things we needed to talk about, but they were able to, you know, diagnose me and my mother with separation anxiety, you know, and that's something that someone in my school saw and was able to address on a regular basis. And I think that had a tremendous impact on, you know, me and my ability to function and, you know, enjoy myself in that school. And that's just something that most kids are not going to get. It's unheard of that every child would see a guidance counselor at an elementary school. One thing that was um, somewhat optimistic was the idea that, and this was talked about at the end of the episode, that perhaps, you know, this could be the new midlife crisis. And that if kids get the sort of intervention and support that they need as adolescents, you know, they may not have to struggle uh, later in life. And, you know, I've had Naima in therapy for almost two years now. And I think it's one of the best decisions that we've made, you know, um, there wasn't anything on fire. There wasn't any like, you know, scary concern or anything like that. But, you know, I knew that she'd been through a lot, just living in two households, transitioning from one city to another, being exposed to all the awful things that are going on in the world and the way our savvy, 
you know, aware kids know about climate change and social justice movements and abortion rights, you know, being gutted and just all the things that are going on around them. I think we get all of our kids into some therapy. I tell other parents all the time, like, don't wait until there's a problem. My mom, a little bit more old school, like she's asked a few times, like, oh, she's still doing that? You know, because she kind of expected like, okay, we're going to get through whatever this little problem was, you know, and like we have worked through some problems and some challenges with the therapist. You know, we've we've had issues and we've stressed them and they've gotten better. But, you know, I think this is something that as many of us as possible should try to keep up with our kids on a regular basis. Does Naima like to go at this point? She does. Um, They generally see each other remotely. We started therapy during the pandemic. And so she's made special plans to like come and see her a few times. Like they went to the park together and we met up somewhere once. But um, usually they meet via Zoom. And the two of them have a lovely relationship. Like last week, Naima was not focused and the session ended early. You know, that's only happened a couple of times. But in general, you know, I mean, I'm really uh, just impressed with her therapist's ability to connect with her and just kind of have her, you know, playing games and talking like their sister girlfriends, you know, um, she's got a real connection with her. Do you think two kids now are definitely more well versed about mental health care? Like, I, I don't know that I really understood it was something you should be doing. Jamila, like you're talking about uh, as a preventative measure, like recognizing that there are stress points in your life and there's a way to work through them before they manifest as something larger. Like until I was in college and studying psychology and thinking like, well, why don't we all get mental health checkups? Like it was definitely dealt with as something that that's something wrong with you and you go when there's something wrong and we're going to like fix a problem. And I do feel like that narrative is shifting and and yes, this is like bad, but the idea that kids are coming in and saying to their doctor, like something is wrong, I think is at least a a positive step forward that we can recognize, like, I don't have to feel like this, or I shouldn't have to, you know, feel so lonely, or like, I don't have the tools to deal with this. So who can I go to to get more tools? And how can I um, navigate this world? Like, that conversation in and of itself, I think is a good thing. That's happening in the idea that like, Naima, I've had my kids in and out of therapy at at different times and the idea that they think that's just part of regular healthcare, I think is, is positive. Well, Slate Plus listeners, thank you for joining us and for supporting us as always. Be sure to join us on Monday for a regular show and on Thursday for another bonus segment. Talk to you soon. Mm -hmm.